I'm not too concerned about your IQ or your EQ. I am really concerned about your AQ, your adversity quotient. And the thing that drives that, your HQ, your hope quotient. Welcome to the Search in Your City podcast. I'm your host, Blaine Larson, and this is part two of our series on hope. And joining me for this discussion is Search's Vice President of Mission Advancement, Dave Kruger. Dave, it's great to have you. Thanks for joining me on the podcast today. And I love being back with you again. Looking forward to our time together. Oh, me too. Well, hey, before we start out, I know you and Roxy have been holed up for about eight weeks at home. And just how are you guys doing right now? <laughs> well, uh, I've come up with a new phrase. I'm covered over with a serious case of corona fatigue. <laughs> and so we're doing okay. You know, it's been eight weeks. And we're both considered high risk. So our doctors have, both doctors have told us we need to just hunker down and we're trying to be uh, diligent about doing that. What's it like in the Blaine house with your three little ones? Well, uh, corona fatigue, but for different reasons <laughs> with the kiddos. <laughs> and sure. and uh, they're, they're doing much better than we thought they would do. But yeah, of course, there's still the moments of we've got a 12-year-old, 9-year-old, three-year-old so the uh, <laughs> siblings and they they get on each other and but we're, we're doing pretty good so thanks for asking dave well let's dive okay. into our our topic today we're we're covering hope this is part two of our series on hope and uh dave i just want to kick it to you i mean where do you want to pick up from our discussion last week well i think we dive right in uh Blaine, in preparation for our, our podcast this week, I spent some time working through several of the passages of Scripture that deal specifically with the topic of, oh, there are over 130 references in the Bible. But the one that I read uh, this week literally stopped me in what I call my spiritual tracks. And I honestly, I love it when that happens. It's kind of like coming up to the railroad crossing and, and the signs just stop, look, listen which is exactly what I did when I read Romans 15 for, I literally stopped and I listened and I looked. And here's what that verse says. Everything that was written in the past was written to teach us so that through endurance and encouragement of the scriptures, we might have hope. And that one verse is packed. Uh, the reference to scripture would include the old and new Testament, which were written for a specific purpose. And Paul tells us very specifically what that purpose is. It's to teach us to give us practical instruction from the Word of God. Well, when I stop and think about that, that, that means there's something we need to know. And so the question I ask is, well, Paul, what is it that we need to know? And he says this, the Bible was written so that through endurance and the encouragement of the Scriptures, we might have hope. And I had another moment, uh, Blaine. It, it, one of the things that struck me with this verse was two little words right in the middle. So that. Uh, this, this little hinge in the Greek of the New Testament sets up a purpose statement. So that, for the purpose, that you would understand that through endurance and the encouragement of the scriptures, we might have hope. And not only that, I did a little study of the Greek this is in the present tense, so we could translate it like this, so that we might hope, have hope, and keep on, keep on having hope. 
So what I'd like to do for the next few minutes, Blaine, is I'd like to just have a conversation about encouragement and endurance. Those two keywords. In fact, in my Bible, I underlined them and I highlighted them and how they can give us hope. So let's talk about encouragement. And what I'm going to call this is encouragement, finding hope in the gospel. See, the, the gospel of hope is the message of good news, which is the news of salvation. And, and when a person places their faith in Jesus Christ and his death, burial, and resurrection, there's an eternal transaction that takes place. Our sins are paid for. We're freed from guilt. A new and eternal relationship with God begins. And, and Titus, in a, in a little book, it's called a pastoral epistle, kind of at the back end of your New Testament. Paul writes this to Titus in chapter 1. A faith and knowledge resting on the hope of eternal life. The hope of eternal That is the gospel. And what I love is how he finished. He says, which God, who does not lie, promised from the beginning of time. You take that to the bank. I remember a moment as a young boy for me uh, uh, in the little church I grew up out in a little town called Moses Lake, Washington. And one summer, an evangelistic puppet show group showed up at our church. And I remember going down into the basement with a bunch of other seven and eight-year-olds. And they, the puppet show was telling the story of Jesus and his love and his sacrifice on the cross. So I'm sitting there thinking, this is cool. Uh, these puppets, and they're telling this amazing story about Jesus. And, and, and it seemed to make sense to me at the time. And uh, as best I understood it, I, I placed my faith in Jesus as my personal Savior. Well, I was eight years old. Uh, I've since come to understand the gospel is much, much more. In fact, uh, one of my favorite go-to authors is Paul Tripp. And when he talks about the gospel, he's come up with this thing called the gospel gap. I don't know if you've heard of it, Blaine. Uh, many of our listeners may not have. Uh, let, me, let me try and explain it. Uh, it starts out with the idea that there is a gospel past. And, and the gospel past saves us. In Ephesians 2, 8, and 9, a well-known verse says, For by grace you have been saved through faith. Our sins are forgiven, eternal life promised. We, have, we stand righteous before God. As Titus put it, that is the hope of eternal life. That was my encounter at the age of eight, at the puppet show. So that's the gospel past, but then there's the gospel future. And the gospel future secures us. In other words, you have an absolute assurance of heaven when life on this earth ends. We're free from sin. We're free from the struggles and the suffering of this life. And that's why Paul was able to say in Philippians 1.21, for me to live is Christ to die its gain. I call that in the spiritual life. It is the ultimate win-win of the Christian faith. It's an incredible statement of bold confidence and bold hope that life on this earth is temporary and it leads to life in heaven for all eternity. So we've got the gospel past that saves us. We've got the gospel future that secures us. Then Tripp made this observation. It says there's something missing in this gospel story. We have the gospel past. We have the gospel future. Where's the gospel present? And I had this, this aha moment. And that's what he called the gospel gap. I never really thought of it. And I remember reading one person said, if we don't understand the power of the gospel present, the good news gradually becomes old news. Hmm. I've, I've never heard any of that framework, Dave, but it's, it's really fascinating to me. I like it. And 
You know, something that strikes me when you talk about the gospel future, hope, uh, and and what what we're looking forward to. Paul in Romans 8, and I don't remember exactly the verse, but it's somewhere right there in the middle. But he actually ties the hope we have to our future resurrection, if you if you believe. Um, in other words, the way we just talked about the gospel present, you know, you you do there is heaven in the future, and when we die, we go to be with God, wherever God is, and that's true. But there's a little more to it too, I think. That's also really really exciting, which is at some point there's a resurrection that's promised, a new body that'll never die, a new heaven, a new earth, life with God, nothing's messed up. And and in the context of that, Paul says this is our our hope as well. Yeah. And that's just a concept to me that I, I almost can't get enough of. Yeah. No, there's a verse, it's, it's at the end of Revelation, I don't know, chapter 20 or 21, where it says, and he will make all things new. You know, there'll be a new world, a new heaven, a new earth, a new body. And uh, if that isn't hope, uh, I don't know what is. That's, that's a great insight. Well, let me let me expand a little bit more on this gospel present. Uh, I'm going to use the word, and I'll explain it. I think the gospel present sanctifies us. John 17, 17, Jesus in his upper room prayer says, sanctify them. He's referring to his disciples. Sanctify them by the truth. Thy word is true. And sanctify simply means to be holy, to be set apart, to be transformed. Think of it as an everyday encounter with the gospel through the scriptures. This impacts everything about us, our meaning, our purpose, our identity today, all day, every day. And Blaine, I remember starting to unpack this, even though I'd been a believer for many years. And I begin to go back and look at 2 Corinthians 5, 17. Therefore, if any person's in Christ, he's a new creation. The old is gone, the new has come. And I'm, I'm trying to figure, okay, I think I understand it, but I think what it means, at least for me, is that the gospel impacts me every day in every sphere of my life. The gospel present impacts me as a husband, as a father, as a student, as a worker, uh, as a neighbor, as a friend. It gives, it's, it's a whole idea of a revelation, this new sense of identity in Christ. I'm a new creation, man. Thank God. <laughs> the old is gone. Thank God. And the new has come. Praise God. And this is the beauty of walking daily in, in, in the fullness of the gospel and the implications of the resurrected Christ in my life every day. John Piper I've referred to him before, uh, makes an interesting observation about the spiritual life. He says this, we need to stop listening to ourselves and start preaching to ourselves. And one of the messages we need to preach to ourselves is this, preach the gospel to yourself every day. And I, I, I just love that. We, you know, one of my memories playing, growing up in that church where I was an eight-year-old at the puppet show, is on Sunday evening services, we had what we called singspiration services. I love that. Never heard, never <laughs> let's heard see, let's brand something with that today. <laughs> hey, that's my conservative Baptist heritage, brother. And, and most of the Sunday evening service was devoted to singing, and I love music. I studied the piano. I know two or three chords on the guitar. And we would sing the great hymns of the church. 
every Sunday, and I recall many of them. I'm, I've got them memorized. One of my favorite hymns was written by Edward Moat in 1834. Now, Edward Moat grew up, he knew nothing about God. He wasn't a part of the church, but one day in his young adulthood, he went to a church, heard the gospel, got born again, and he was so excited about it, he says, I've got to write a hymn. So he wrote a hymn that's become one of the great hymns of the church and our Sinkspiration services on Sunday night. My hope is built on nothing else. Or nothing less, excuse me. And let me read that. Let me just read the first verse to my hope is built on nothing less than Jesus blood and righteousness. That's the gospel. I dare not trust the sweetest frame, but wholly lean on Jesus name on Christ. The solid rock. I stand all other ground is sinking sand. All other ground is sinking sand. And I think Moat captured the beauty and the hope of the gospel past, present and future. And we can claim this every day and be encouraged by what the scriptures teach us. Yeah, but part of what is so encouraging to me is we think about that word in encouragement as Paul's using it related to hope is when you talk about gospel past, gospel present, gospel future, the framework you've laid out here, Dave, it's like the gospel present is a combination of the gospel past and what Jesus has done. And it's also the beginning of the experience of the gospel future right now. It's, it's, we're tasting some of what's to come. Uh, the future is breaking into the present, if you will. Is that right? You know, Blaine, that is so good. I wish I'd have said it. <laughs> <laughs> well, we can edit this and make it sound <laughs> no, no, like no, you no. said it. No, no, leave it in there. That's a really, I love the word taste, a uh, foretaste of what is to come. Uh, and, and, and that's a great encouragement. Uh, just, just simply in light of where we are right now in the pandemic, there is a greater hope. Uh, this will pass. And then what I love is the other word that I underlined in my Bible endurance. So I want to direct us to another uh, chapter from the book of Romans, and, and I'll just read it. This is Romans 5, verses 3 through 5. And we rejoice in the hope of God, not only so, because we also rejoice in our sufferings, because we know that suffering produces perseverance, perseverance produces character, and character hope, and hope does not disappoint us. It, it, it when you look at this, these three verses, you're going to note how Paul begins with hope, and then he ends with hope. And in between, there are two declarations of hope. He talks about the inevitable reality of suffering that we will all experience, and then he makes an incredible statement. We should rejoice in suffering. Well, why should we rejoice? Because we know something. Well, what do we know? The suffering produces perseverance, perseverance produces character, and character produces hope, and hope does not disappoint us. You know, I, when, when I think of those words, it takes me back to the upper room on that last night uh, when they were going to celebrate the last Passover, and uh, he's giving his disciples some last instructions before he will be betrayed and eventually go to the cross and die for us. And in verse six, chapter 16, verse 33, without sugarcoating it, he says this. He says to these guys, hey, in this world, you will have trouble, but take heart. 
I have overcome the world. You will have trouble, followed by a reality promise. Take heart. I have overcome the world. And, and that's the story that I think Paul and the principles that Paul is trying to spell out for us in Romans chapter 5. We will have trouble. Jesus tells us that. We live in a broken world. And even as Christ followers, we're not immune to this. In fact, next week, uh, my wife Roxy will join me and, and we're going to share some of our story and what we've learned about hope in the midst of some really hard times that we've had to navigate together. So I'm looking forward to having her with me. Well, I am too, Dave. That's going to be a really, uh, I, I want to say, beneficial conversation for all of us to have and I hope for our listeners because uh, just a little plug for everybody make sure you don't miss next week's with Dave and Roxy because there's there's some really really great insights and, and helpful things and they have been through a lot so yeah. I'm glad you guys are joining us for that Dave and I think you bring up a great point here which is hope is we're not being flippant with this word hope uh, and we're not painting a picture like, oh, just have hope and it'll all be fine and it'll all be good. Uh, well, ultimately, in some sense, yeah. But right now in this life, uh, the Bible, Christian theology isn't teaching that there's no bad things that are going to happen to us. We've read just the opposite. Bad stuff's going to come our way. And how do we deal with it? And what's the foundation for our hope? And if you like you mentioned last week in the podcast, it, it really does matter where you place your hope. If you place it in something that's just going to go away or, uh, you know, crumble, then it'll be very difficult for you. If you place your faith in something that's reliable, you place your hope in something that's trustworthy, like Jesus, when hard times come, it builds these kinds of character qualities. Absolutely. Absolutely. And, and it, if you remember, I said last uh, in our last podcast that there are two anchors to our hope because you're absolutely right. This is a good reminder. And this is a good point to, to reemphasize that that uh, hope is not cross your fingers, wishful thinking, uh, positive optimism. Um, that's of no help to me. I need something deeper. Uh, and, and that's what we discovered last week, that we have two anchors. One of them is a sovereign God who is in control, and the other is a resurrected Christ. And that's where I think we can anchor our lives in the midst of whatever we're going through, whether it's corona or something else, and we can have a hope that won't disappoint us. So it's interesting, this, as we move towards wrapping this up, uh, I read a book, Blaine, several years ago called The Adversity Quotient. It was written by an author named Paul Stoltz, and I, and I, I grabbed it because I, I, I like the title. Uh, it's a universal issue, this adversity that we face, and he came up with the, the adversity quotient. And, and literally, he had done research for over 20 years on how people in life deal with adversity. From the little irritants of every day, I lose my keys, I get a flat tire, I'm in the checkout line too long, uh, I hit my finger with a hammer. You've done that, you're a construction guy. To the major life-changing moments, a loss of a job, a divorce, uh, a threatening illness, the death of a child, or COVID-19. So what he did is he analyzed this with some detailed research, and he came up with the adversity quotient. I've shortened it. I just call it your AQ. 
So that got me to thinking, I thought, well, let's do a little exercise here. And uh, I'm going to use Blaine as my test case with this diagnostic test. We'll see how he does. I'm going to ask him a series of questions. I can see he's sweating already. <laughs> I, I thought I was done going to school. <laughs> so here we go. Just give it your best shot. If I were to ask you, Blaine, what is your IQ, I would be free, referring to your intelligence quotient. Intelligence quotient. Yeah. Now, the normal range for people is somewhere between 85 and 115. Einstein had an IQ of 165, uh, which is off the charts. He would qualify for Mensa, which is where the really brilliant people hang out. If I ask you what is your EQ, I would be referring to your emotional quotient. He's crushing it. Emotional quotient. And this is a, a measurement that in the last couple of decades, uh, sociologists have come up with. And it's the idea of people who have an exceptional relational DNA. Uh, they're able to put people at ease quickly and they, they develop a, 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 a sense of trust in a short amount of time. Typically, people who are in sales and are really good at sales have what we would call a high EQ. So far, so good. Well, if we ask you what your AQ is, what would that be? I have been listening. <laughs> adversity. And the answer is? <laughs> is adversity. What? Your adversity caution. Yeah. Dealing with suffering in life. Now, it's interesting when you read the book, Souls uh, was a mountain climber. So he painted a picture uh, of mountain climbing as an analogy. And he said there are three ways that people deal with adversity. And then he gave a brief definition. And so the first group, keep in mind, we're talking about climbing a mountain, whatever that big issue is in front of you, is he called them quitters. You know, quitters always start the conversation with the problem is they're never about solutions. They tend to be negative. They complain. They criticize. They're pessimistic. So about 10% of the people he did in his study were just plain quitters. There's chronic whiners. About life, it's hard, and, and, and why can't it be better? But they never move towards solutions. Second group, he called campers. This was the majority of people, like 80%. They climb well. They grow weary of dealing with hard circumstances. Uh, they kind of tend to lose focus. They might lose a little passion for life, and some of them just give up. He says they get to mid-mountain. It's a pretty good view. So they decide to set up camp and uh, retire too early. He says, and they spend the rest of their life thinking about the good old days. You know what I mean? We all know people like this. Well, yeah. <laughs> we won't mention your trophy room downstairs in your basement oh, in this category, hey, Dave. Hey, That's hey. <laughs> we'll do a podcast on that one on another time. And then he said there was a third category, another 10%. He said they're climbers. Uh, these are people who are purpose-driven, they're passionate, they're persevering, they press on, uh, they don't look back, they don't look down, they're just climbers, and they always keep the summit in view. They are determined to get there. And you think about that in the context of the pandemic. I don't know how this is going to end, but I want to keep my eyes on the summit. I'm going to keep climbing whatever that looks like for me. It might look different for you. And I'm going to do that because I've got two anchors. And there's a sovereign God who's in control, and I have a resurrected Christ. Uh, I don't know if you've ever heard the name uh, Sir Edmund Hillary, a, 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 a 
tremendous, maybe one of the greatest mountain climbers ever. And the story is told of him trying to climb Mount Everest. I think that's the largest mountain in the world. And he tried and he failed. He tried and he failed. He'd try again. He failed. And, And he was committed to climbing that mountain. He tries again. He fails. On one occasion, it's said that he stood at the base of the mountain, took his fist, he stuck it up in the air, and he said this. He said, I'm going to defeat you one day because you're as big as you're ever going to get, and I'm still growing. And I thought, that's the way we need to approach this thing called hope. So if I were to ask you one more question in our little diagnostic tool, and I said, what is your HQ? What would that be? Hope quotient. There you go. Am I right? Come on. You got them all four. So I'm not too concerned about your IQ or your EQ. I am really concerned about your AQ, your adversity quotient. And the thing that drives that, your HQ, your hope quotient. So what is it that marks climbers? They have a high HQ. And if you look at Romans 5, it's all about hope. He starts the discussion and he ends that discussion with hope, a hope that we defined as a confident, expectant, assured anticipation about the future, that God will get us through this. And our hope will say, this is going to pass. And and this is a hope that says there's an obstacle here, but that obstacle becomes an opportunity for personal spiritual growth and ministry to others. This is a hope anchored. I'm going to repeat it again because Repetition is the mother of learning. We have a sovereign God and a resurrected Christ. And when your hope is in that, you'll never be disappointed. Dave, I just want to thank you for being on the podcast today, for thinking through these thoughts so well, for bringing us so much practicality to this concept of hope. It has been just a wonderful discussion. Thank you very much. Well, you're sure welcome, Blaine. And uh, I know Roch and I are really looking forward to being back with you next week to tell you some tell some stories. Yeah, I'm look I'm looking forward to that too. And I want to invite everybody back. Come join us uh, a week from today. And uh, if you've enjoyed this podcast in general, we just would ask you to subscribe to our feed, to share it with your friends. If you've got a question or a comment or anything you'd like to send in to us, uh, you can do that podcast at searchnational.org. Just send us an email. And until next time, thanks for listening.